Matthew 15, 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, uh, we want to know you for real. Uh, we want to know Jesus for real. We want to grow up in uh, knowing Jesus. Uh, for some of us who are in a place where we're really struggling with faith, um, we need you to give us the gift of faith. Um, uh, take what is unclear and bring it into clarity. Uh, show us the beauty of Jesus uh, so that we entrust ourselves to him. And that we, we need that for uh, those of us who are, um, aren't even sure if we have faith. And uh, we know, need that same gift for those of us uh, who have walked with Jesus for a long time, because that's how we grow. So we ask that you will give us the gift of the faith you want to see from us. So we do that now. And uh, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Uh, comfort us where we need to be comforted. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and point our attention uh, very specifically to Christ and his truth, his goodness, and his beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, uh, you can take a seat. Please turn back to the gospel reading. Um, you may have noticed both of our readings uh, today have, have a, bunch of, a, a bunch of statements, material, ideas that, are, that, that some of us will find um, uh, intriguing, confusing, troubling, whatever the case may be. Um, we are not going to touch on the epistle reading really at all, but if you would like to talk about it, I'm delighted to talk about it after the service. Uh, and the same is true for the gospel reading that we're going to be looking at more specifically, because there's some things in here uh, that may bring up questions, troubling, uh, uh, or otherwise encouraging, whatever the case may be. But if, if you want to talk about it more, just, just grab me after the service. Sound good? Everybody say, sure. There we go. All right. Um, wonderful. Uh, you're, you're, well said. Well said. Uh, the gospel reading. It is a deeply subversive story. Uh, why do I call it subversive? Because when you look at it, at, at first, you think it's saying one thing, and then the more you sit with it, the, the, um, the reading starts to kind of work within you, and it ends up very often um, leading you almost the opposite of what you first thought. Um, here's what I mean. It's easy to look at this reading, is it not? And say, oh my goodness, it looks like Jesus is being prejudiced against this Canaanite woman. So if you spend any time reading Jesus, uh, you'll get used to Jesus being extremely compassionate, and in particular, very responsive when people ask for healing. But in this story, it's different because Jesus seems slow to heal. 
it seems maybe to have something to do with the fact that this woman is a Canaanite woman. Uh, and then there's the really um, uh, uncomfortable uh, dialogue about dogs and tables and children and crumbs. You see the concern? For a minute, come back to that reading and read it from the perspective of Jesus' first disciples. So in their minds, a Canaanite woman is just way outside their scope of ministry. So um, they, the disciples are Jewish. They would never have dreamt of ministering uh, to a Canaanite woman. When this a scene occurs, they are outside the country. So they, in their minds, they are outside their scope of ministry. And uh, this stranger comes up to them and the Canaanites in the Jewish community would have had very little interaction. And so the disciples uh, wouldn't have expected to interact with this woman at all. In other words, they wouldn't have been troubled by the bit that likely troubles some of us. However, what would have shocked them was not the middle of the conversation, but the end of the conversation. Look at verse 28. Jesus ends up holding up this woman as a model of faith. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. Now to understand this reading, you have to understand the magnitude of that statement because all through the book of Matthew, which is where this excerpt comes from, Jesus has been interacting with the religious leaders of his day, the leaders of the Jewish community. And Jesus never holds up their faith or affirms their faith in the way that he affirms this woman's faith. And in the same way, Jesus all through this book has been training his disciples, but Jesus never affirms their faith or holds up their faith with the kind of affirmation that he does for this woman. Usually Jesus is saying, disciples, where is your faith? Oh, you have little faith. But here Jesus holds this woman up and says, this is a model of true faith. And the only other time that Jesus does something similar in the book of Matthew, he holds up a Gentile Roman officer's faith. And that's one of the reasons why I say this story is deeply subversive. Because in this story, Jesus is beginning to dismantle for the disciples the whole idea that God prefers one nation over and against another. And Jesus is getting his disciples ready for sending them out in a worldwide, multicultural, multi-ethnic mission. And this woman, this Canaanite woman, is one of the pioneers of that mission, which has gone out to na uh, uh, nations all over the world, and it's the reason why you and I are here today in this room. So this is a deeply subversive story. And what's our task today? Well, our task is to sit at the feet of this Canaanite woman and, uh, and ask her to teach us about the nature of true faith. And here's what we're going to learn. True faith, what I mean by true faith is the kind of faith that Jesus is wanting to see in us. True faith is a deep confidence in Jesus' mercy, and at the same time, it sets aside any claim to be entitled to it. Let me explain what I mean, get into the story. Look at verse 21. So the scene opens up, and Jesus and his disciples, they're on a trip. Um, they are up uh, in an area called uh, Tyre and Sidon. Those are two cities way outside uh, Jewish 
um, Jewish countryside. So they're outside their nation. They were probably up there to get away from the crowds in this part of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Jesus is really popular. Everywhere he goes, there's a big crowd. He's been trying to get away for some time, so they, go, they leave the country. And they're in a, a Gentile part of the world. And there, presumably, Jesus is trying to train his disciples. But in the middle of that, there comes what must have felt like an interruption. Verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came and said, and was crying out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, focus on the word Canaanite. Uh, if you read through the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, um, you'll find that the Canaanites are almost always Israel's enemy. Uh, they're political opponents, they are religious opponents, they're uh, consistently the opposite team in the culture where, war of whatever time period we're talking about, all through the Old Testament. And that's one of the reasons why in verse 23, the disciples are just completely dismissive of her. I mean, this woman is not somebody we need to be focused on right now. We need to be focused elsewhere. However, look again at verse 22. Do you see how she calls Jesus the son of David? Now, that was a royal title, but it wasn't just any royal title. It, she's saying that Jesus is King David's successor, which is another way of saying she recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, which is another way of saying she's recognizing Jesus as somebody who's not only a healer, but somebody who bears God's own authority. And that is crucially important for the story. Why? Well, I said earlier that all through the Old Testament, the Canaanites are Israel's enemies. But that's not exactly true. Because if you read the Old Testament closely, you'll find stories that subvert that theme. Here's one. The story of Rahab. Do you remember the story of Rahab? So this happens uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. Um, there's a woman called Rahab. She was a uh, Canaanite, and she was a prostitute. However, Rahab heard about the God of Israel. So this happened just after what we call the Exodus, where when Israel comes out of Egypt and their enslavement in Egypt and they find liberation, and Rahab had heard about how the God of Israel had rescued Israel from Egypt. And she had heard about the God of Israel's mercy and the God of Israel's justice. And the more she heard about uh, the God of Israel's mercy and the God of Israel's justice, the more she uh, compared the God of Israel to her own Canaanite pagan gods. And she began to see the beauty of the God of Israel. And in a remarkable decision, in a remarkable act of courage, Rahab decided to switch allegiances. She switched allegiance from her Canaanite gods to the God of Israel. And it's a long story. You can go read about it in the book of Joshua. But eventually she was accepted into Israel. And not only that, she became one of the ancestors. One of her descendants was King David. And a long time later, one of her descendants is Jesus himself. Now, keep all that in your mind and go back to this Canaanite woman. Because when she cries out to Jesus and calls him the son of David, 
she's standing in the tradition of Rahab. She had heard of Jesus's ministry, and she had heard more specifically about Jesus's mercy. Now, Tyre and Sidon were filled with uh, pagan Canaanite gods that she could have gone to for healing, but she knew that Jesus's mercy bore a power that was greater than anything she had ever experienced within her native paganism, and therefore she cries out to Jesus for mercy. Now, Emmanuel, that's faith. Faith, the kind of faith that Jesus is after, is a faith that sees that Jesus's mercy is uniquely worthy of our confidence and uniquely sufficient to address our deepest needs so that we throw ourselves entirely upon it. This is one of the reasons why faith, real faith, always includes a shift of allegiances. So think about Rahab. Rahab heard about the mercy of the God of Israel, and uh, she gave her trust, her confidence, and her deepest allegiance to the God of Israel, and she was gathered into the community. And this woman is doing something similar. She sees Jesus, she's heard of his mercy, and she calls him the son of David. She's entrusting her allegiance to him as the king. Now, let's turn this on ourselves, and let me ask a question that may sound a little bit abrupt. What is it that holds your deepest allegiances? And I don't mean political allegiances per, per, per se, although that, I mean, that, that bears, but let me point out one thing. Most of us, we're not pagans like uh, the Canaanites, um, but we are, we are individualists. And uh, one, of, one of the things that often holds our deep and profound and often subconscious con uh, allegiance is our resume. Uh, what do I mean? I don't mean a professional resume. What I mean is that that list that we keep, maybe subconsciously, that tells me I'm okay, and actually, God is kind of on the hook to bless me or do good in my life or whatever. I hold out my resume to God in one way or the other. God, look at who I am and what I've done, and this is why you should bless me, something like that. So, uh, you know, we never say it this way. But God, you should, you should look well upon me because uh, I'm a... I'm a fairly good person. Uh, I'm, I've made good choices, mostly. Um, I vote the right way. I'm part of the right church or the right group or the right tribe or the right club or whatever the case may be. And at least I'm just a little entitled, God, to um, you do, to do what I want you to do in my life. And at least I'm, if anybody's entitled, I'm more entitled than the jerk over there. Now, again, we never say it that way. We may not even think of it that way, but something like that often lurks below our subconscious. And we need to aware, be aware of it because it can ruin faith. Because then here's why. It means we come to God primarily with our resume rather than throwing ourselves on his mercy. But go back to the Canaanite woman, because this story wants to subvert that whole approach within us. This woman does the opposite. She doesn't come and show Jesus her resume. She comes to Jesus and she simply holds up his mercy to him. 
And I think that's, that explains why it is that Jesus presses her, presses her in a way that troubles us. Jesus presses this woman because he wants her to say out loud so that everyone can hear that her confidence is not about anything in her at all. It's her confidence is exclusively in the mercy and the overabundant mercy of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She responds, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall under the table. It's as if she says this, uh, yes, Jesus, I'm not holding out my resume. I'm not saying you should uh, bless me because of something in me at all. But you and I, it's as if she says, you and I, Jesus, both know that that's not the point. I ask for mercy anyway, not because of something about me, but I ask for mercy because I know that your mercy is big enough to reach to my daughter. And that's the answer Jesus is waiting for. And that's the answer that calls forth his joyful affirmation. Because Jesus had heard of that kind of faith. He had heard of it many times, but not least in the life of his great-great-great-great-grandmother Rahab. And so Jesus honors her, verse 28. A woman, great is your faith. And, she, and Jesus holds her up as a model for the disciples, but also for all of us in every culture, in every nation, down to the present time. Now, one of the things that's remarkable is that this woman was absolutely persuaded that Jesus's mercy was big enough for her, irrespective of anything calling for it in her. But it ends up that she just didn't even know the half of the magnitude of Christ's mercy. Because if you want to see the measure of Christ's mercy, you got to look at the cross. When Jesus, though he is God, yet nevertheless he set aside all the entitlements to blessing, to privilege, to everything else, he set that all aside and took the nature of a servant, says Paul, and became obedient unto death. He was treated as a slave. And why did he do that? He went to his death, that most extreme of experiences. He went to his execution in order to purchase a mercy big enough to reach out to people who don't deserve anything at all. And that's why, Emmanuel, when you look at Jesus Christ, you will never find a view of God that is more loving and bigger with mercy. It means that Jesus' mercy is even bigger than this Canaanite woman realized, and it also explains why it is that we must follow her lead. We've got to cling to Christ's mercy and leave our resumes behind. Every last one of them. Your resume and mine does not obligate God. And if we try to, per to coerce him through it, we will find ourselves ever further from him. Now, let me wrap up with uh, four, that's three, that's four, four uh, lessons from this. Here's the first lesson. Be on your guard, Emmanuel, against all forms of spiritual pride. Uh, one example of spiritual pride that this story subverts is, is what we call racism. Um, and racism in all of its forms is a particular offense against the cross. Um, racism has many ways of, can mean many different things, but one way is, is just the simple idea that my cultural heritage, my national background, my biology, whatever, 
entitles me to some kind of privilege. And it's important that we see that this is incompatible with faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ requires that I throw all my imagined resumes in the bin at the foot of the cross and throw myself upon the cross and Christ's mercy alone. And I mention racism because this reading helped subvert the disciples' cultural pride, and it enabled them and prepared them to go out in mission precisely to Canaanites and to the rest of the world. And that multinational uh, ethnic mission is why we're here today here at Emmanuel, so that this Canaanite woman is a spiritual mother to us. But just like racism is incompatible with faith in Christ, so are all other forms of spiritual pride, and we've got to keep our guard up about it. So self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when I think that my moral choices give me some sort of superiority over and against somebody else. Or many other kinds of cultural tribalisms, where uh, very often it can, it can exhibit itself in a kind of uh, low-level resentment or bitterness or hatred to whoever it is I consider my cultural opponent. And that's a really important one because we live in a nation that has a tendency to normalize that. Uh, and we have to see that faith in Jesus Christ requires that we throw all that in the bin at the foot of the cross. So first lesson, beware of spiritual pride in all its forms. Second lesson, no one is beyond the mercy of Jesus Christ. So if God evaluates my resume when he's thinking about whether or not to be merciful towards me, then there's going to be some, there's something in my life that's going to be completely cancel my, uh, my, my suitability for mercy. And there's going to be somebody who's beyond the pale. But thankfully, that's not what God does. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, and when we cling to the cross alone, God looks not at my resume, but at the cross of Christ. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God shows me a mercy precisely into the areas of my life that, are, that would otherwise cancel my candidacy. And Emmanuel, if that's true, and it is true, then it means that no one who's alive right now is too far gone for the mercy of God. It means that you're not too far gone for the mercy of Jesus Christ. In a room like this, there's going to be some of us here who says secretly, uh, I know God loves other people, but he doesn't really love me. God can't really forgive me. God can't really liberate me. If he really knew, or if anybody around me really knew, I would be canceled off from mercy. And if that's the voice that whispers in your ear, then you need to understand that is not Jesus. That is the devil. And it's a lie. And if the Canaanite woman was here right now, she would say, that's the same wickedness that bound my daughter. And I watched Jesus liberate her from that evil, and he wants to liberate you from it today. There is no one beyond the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's true for you. It's also for the tr true for the person whom I have good reason to hate, my enemy. And it's true for the person who doesn't appear to have any interest in God. And so because of the magnitude of Christ's mercy, you've got to apply it to your life, to your enemies' lives, but also to the people around you 
who need to hear you describe the beauty of Jesus's mercy in such a manner that they can respond. So lesson number one, beware of spiritual pride. Number two, uh, no one is beyond the mercy of Jesus. Lesson number three is this, cultivate a tenacity in pursuing mercy. And I mean this particularly in our prayer life. So one of the things that's wonderful about this Canaanite woman is that she just refuses to give up. Um, that's an instinct that is deeply embedded in Christian spirituality. So, for instance, if you uh, spend time reading and praying the Psalms, you'll know that the Psalms teach you to pray prayers like this. God, you've promised this and this and this and this and this, and I don't see those promises fulfilled yet, and therefore I'm not letting you off the hook until, you, until I see your mercy break in on my life. You, you, that theme is right the way through the Psalms. We're supposed to pray that way. And that's what this Canaanite woman does. Her confidence in Jesus' mercy made her confident to pursue Jesus and not give up in prayer. Real faith in Jesus has a tenacity about it. And there, will, there are going to come times, and maybe you're in one right now, where it just seems like God's not answering. It seems like God's deaf. And if that's where you're at, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Christ's cross. And remember, he's, he's sacrificed too much to give up on you now. Stay tenacious in prayer and you're going to see his goodness in the long story. Last lesson, do not forget the delight of Jesus. Look at verse 28 again. Do you see the delight of Jesus? A woman, great is your faith. May it be done to you as you desire. I want you to catch the warmth. Do you hear the affection? See, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and when you throw your resume in the bin, and you cling to the cross, cross of Christ, that's really hard. It's hard for all of us, but part of the reason it's difficult is that my resume is very often the thing that re, uh, re, reassures me that I'm okay, that I'm lovable, that I'm worthy of something or other. And it's desperately difficult to throw that in the bin and leave it behind. Why should you do it? Because when you cling to the cross of Christ, Jesus gives you something much, much better. When we place our faith in Jesus's mercy, he draws us into a love that is bigger and deeper and more thorough in our lives and broader than anything that we can imagine. And it's actually a love that's bigger and deeper and more full of joy than our capacity to enjoy in this moment. And that's one reason why it'll take forever to fully experience it. And some of us deep down think that Jesus is cold hearted towards you. I can imagine somebody saying, oh, I kind of know that the cross means Jesus forgives me, but I don't think he likes me very much. And that's a lie. And this story wants to subvert that lie. Jesus loves you. His death for you was an act of love. And he has brought you under the Father's warm affection. So that the Father, if you're in Christ, the Father loves you with the same identical love with which he loves Jesus himself. Do you know that? Has that landed on your life? 
When you embrace Jesus' mercy, you look into his face and you will find someone smiling at you. God himself in Christ smiling at you. And as you see that love and as that love lands in your soul, not because you deserve it, but transcending all of that, you will find yourself desiring to give yourself to him in allegiance and in ever deepening allegiance. And that's one of the reasons why obedience becomes no longer duty, but delight, because it's a way of responding to the kind, warm love of Jesus Christ and saying, yes, Jesus, you have loved me and now I want to love you back and I give myself wholly to you because you have given yourself wholly to me. That is the transforming power of mercy. Look at Jesus, remember, and rejoice. Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.